0: Happy December, 2022 it's December the 1st looking forward toward the present. It's a new episode of leaning toward wisdom, the podcast. Greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio. My name is Randy Kentrell. I'm your host here. The website is LeaningTowardWisdom.com. You can go to the website and you can find the show notes for today's episode, December the 1st, 2022, looking forward toward the present Pearl Jam's 1996 song present tense. It was from their no code album, kind of a fitting theme for today's show. Of course, I can't play it. To live in the present tense. Ah, but first, as I am wont to do, let me give you the impetus for today's show. I'm watching some house hunting kind of show on HGTV. The kind I normally don't watch. I much prefer the renovation shows. This couple, they're going through a few houses and in each house, one or both of them exclaim how they could see themselves doing this or that in the space. And says the husband about a basement, I could see myself enjoying watching games on a big TV down here. The wife says of the bathroom, I could see myself relaxing in that soaker tub. Watch any episode of these kinds of shows, and I guarantee you're going to hear people say similar things. People put themselves into these homes as though they already own them. And that is exactly what sellers and realtors want people to do. Imagine. Imagine. It is a uniquely human capacity for us to project ourselves into a future that has not yet happened. My longtime fascination with how our minds work, well, okay, or sometimes how our minds fail to work, it it kicked in. And since my books are mostly gone now, if you've been paying attention, I've already told you this, uh, the few physical books that I have kept, they are boxed up. But I'm looking through my Kindle library. As I hit the record button, all 718 titles uh, – I had no idea I had that many Kindle books, but I do. Uh, One problem that I have discovered through the years, a problem with neuroscience, which is the study of the structure or the function of the nervous system and our brain. There are plenty of charlatans in this arena. Uh, There are charlatans in every arena. And it's why I'm so firmly opposed to notions about the secret or manifestation or other, you know, supernatural admonitions i mean for starters as a man of faith they all elevate humans to godlike status so they urge us to take command of this universe around us something that no human can do disguised as accepting individual responsibility that in my opinion they go way beyond to fool people into thinking that as humans we have this capacity to do the impossible to merely think something into existence and yet only God the creator has that ability years ago I had to learn the hard way by devoting hours of reading and study to flush out the garbage you know sadly some of the most successful writers they are making bank on the desperate people looking for answers that I believe reside in godly faith but that may be a subject for another day So I dive into the Kindle library to reread some things and to get these hamster wheels in my brain, getting them to run just slightly faster. Mostly I'm running with this thought expressed by this couple looking at houses and the phrase that they continue to utter. I could, I can see myself or I could see us. Something they've not yet done, but at least not in any of these spaces that were sparking their imaginations, they were able to imagine, to see themselves doing these things in these spaces, inserting ourselves into unknown circumstances, situations, places. We do it every time we plan a vacation to a place that we've never been before. We do it when we look at a new place to live. We do it when we fall in love. We do it when we go car shopping. We imagine. It's more than imagining, though. We are envisioning ourselves as already being in that situation. The more we think about it, the more clearly we see ourselves in that situation. And the more real it feels, and if we want it badly enough, the more we see ourselves there. In this future that we want. Now that doesn't mean it's going to become reality, but there does seem to be physical evidence that the way our body responds physiologically to our envisioning is very similar to the way our body responds when it's real. It could be argued our physical body may not quite know the difference between imagined and real. It raises the question, does our body know the difference between something we imagine and something we actually experience? It can feel or it can seem very real because, well, in our mind, it is real. And our body responds accordingly. Many neuroscientists will tell you your body responds as though it has already happened. Well, that's pretty powerful. Powerful. The couple admiring the house on this HGTV show that I was watching, they had put themselves in that house mentally. I predict that the house that consumes their imagination the most is going to be the house they're going to buy. I didn't watch the show, so I can't tell you how it turned out. But I would, I would bet I'm right. Because whatever house they bought became the most real in their imagination, and so they marshaled their resources to make that their reality that feeling they had when they first looked at it is going to be replicated when they buy it and they move in. Now it's not likely going to last because you and I both know that, well, life is going to give way to new aspirations and new dreams and new desires. Not to mention that they're going to learn some things about the house that they didn't know before. Rather than thinking about the future, I started thinking about the present, the present And going through lots of old business notes and papers and presentations during the purging weeks that I went through, I'd come across a number of presentations that I had made with organizations that I had led about being present, being present. Now, my fanaticism with customer service is what drove me to teach and train and impress on people, the power of being present, present with prospects, with shoppers with customers with clients being present being present it's impossible if you are not focused on the present moment and this person right directly in front of you if that person in front of you is invisible and your mind is elsewhere guess what you aren't present and it was during looking at these notes and these presentations that i wrote down the phrase that serves as the title for today's episode looking forward Toward the present, I started thinking about all the signs of my own distractions. And I thought about all the people that I see every day who are distracted, the power of personal computing in the form of our iPhones. It's the culprit for many of us. I'm in the moment. He says, as he scrolls and types and views and posts. Okay. Well, I'm not real sure that's true. I mean, isn't he more in the past looking to see how many affirmations he may have already received in the form of likes or comments or hearts or whatever the other vanity metrics is. Isn't he more in the future posting something that he now hopes is going to gain more attention than that thing that he posted half an hour ago. I mean, how present is he really? And it was about this time that I created a graphic. This was some months ago. I had seen the sentence somewhere. Uh, but it made its way into my notebook because it accurately depicts the behavior of so many people. And the statement was she died wishing she could have spent just one more day with her phone. Uh Of course she didn't, but we behave as though that's the reality being present, being present. It's growing increasingly harder. And we know why it's all the electronic distractions, all the digital distractions. It's the dissatisfaction. It's the fixating on the past or the future. And it's all the multitasking that certainly is not helping all the culture, cultural observations aside in this moment, I was focused on my ability. Okay. Our ability, because I'm including you in this, our ability to look forward to the present for the purpose of being more present in the present many years ago i read a book it was entitled time wars the primary conflict in human history by jeremy rifkin rifkin observes a distinction between analog watches and digital watches the analog watch has the hour hand the minute hand the second hand while the digital watch has this constant display flashing the current time only The analog watch provides us with a visual image of the past. That is, I can see what the time used to be. I can also see the future because I can look ahead and I can see what time is coming. Digital watches don't give us that perspective. I read this shortly after I bought the book in 1987, 35 years ago. And yet it remains with me today because I just thought it was such a terrific, simple illustration. The present matters, but so does the past and the future. Well, come on. The future is very important. That's where our dreams and our ambitions. That's where our plans reside in the future. Now, in 1987, when I first read this book, we were about a decade away from the Internet being pervasive. Ditto for cell phones. What we did have in 1987 is we began to have digital watches, and many of the watches, the digital watches then, were LED. That is, they had the red readout. Here we are today in 2022. The world doesn't look anything at all like it looked when – Mr. Rifkin wrote and published that book, Time Wars. Our views of time continue to evolve. The irony is that in this digital age, the age of a constant display of the present time, the irony is that in this age of constant present time, being present seems harder than it ever has before. We're faced with all the digital displays that constantly are flashing at us present. Present, present, present. And yet we are struggling to be present. Go anywhere. There are lots of people. Well, shoot. Go anywhere where there's just a few people. Doesn't matter. Sit down. Keep your phone tucked away. Just keep your head up. Keep your eyes open. Just watch. Observe. Yeah, sure. People are present. They're just watching their phone or they're checking their phone for something. Being present means we're focused and we are engaged in the here and now. We are not distracted. We are not mentally absent. Are we present or are we mentally absent diving into a digital world where it is growing increasingly difficult for some to distinguish between that world and their actual physical world? I continue to be very amazed at the number of young, quote unquote, influencers who die at their own hand. Many presumably, because it's not what they thought it would be, and yet we constantly hear, well, people are doing what they want if they want to be on their phone doing something. I mean it's great, isn't it great that they can be able to do that i'm 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 not perhaps, but the reasoning that our ability to do what we want is always good for us well, that's just not true, that never has been true. All you got to do is look around at the bad behavior and the bad habits that we have. We often crave things that damage us. We crave things that sometimes destroy us. Being in the moment is powerful for everybody involved. You hear it when people comment about the great quality that somebody has to make you feel like you're the only person in the room. You've heard people describe other people, you know, he he's just got this knack. When you're with him, you just feel like you're the only person in the room. Redemption, we all need it. We all need redemption, especially those of us who, well, those of us who don't think we need it, we need it the most. Dawes, D-A-W-E-S, Dawes is one of my favorite bands, and this year they released a new record, which includes a tune. I'm going to embed this in the show notes for today's episode. Just go find December 1st, 2022, leaningtowardwisdom.com. The name of the tune is everything is permanent. Now I'm not dead solid sure what the song's about, but it popped into my mind as I was thinking and preparing for today's episode. Everything is permanent. Everything is permanent in a sense that we are each fully responsible for how we live. That does not mean that we can't repent. It does not mean that we can't repair things, but it does mean that we are without excuse To behave poorly. The ripples of our bad choices and the bad behavior. They continue just like the ripples of our good choices and our good behavior. Permanency does not restrict our ability to fix things. I grant you some things you can't fix, but we absolutely have it within our power to make some things better or to make some things worse. And sometimes looking forward to the present is doing our part to redeem ourselves and as best we can to fix things. Now I know we're only minutes in and I've already hit you with this hodgepodge of ideas, but time is a complicated thing. Our place in time. Well, that's even more complex. You ever watch any of these, uh, ancestry kind of shows. I love those shows, don't you? You know, where they take, they're going to take a celebrity. They're not going to take some ordinary Joe like you or me. Um, But they go back. They go back as far as they can. And you see the profound effect that that has on everybody that they do this for. To understand where you are in the timeline of, of history and to know that, you know, in 1700, 1600, Maybe even earlier, there were these people who made these decisions. And but for a decision here or a decision there, you're not here. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch the story unfold and to see the impact that that context provides for people who are the subjects of these shows. So our place in time, it's, it's a complex thing but let's try to narrow things down a little bit because, well, you know, come on, we could chase a variety of thoughts about all this kind of stuff. And many of them, frankly, I think would be worthwhile. But as your guide today, I really just want to achieve one thing, and that is to help us anticipate being more present right now and to build on that every day moving forward, to find a way to be in the moment. So we don't procrastinate to do what matters most. So in a word, what I want to focus us on is now, now I saw a social media meme. I'm going to put this over at the show notes too. the old man in uh, the Pixar movie. Was it up? Shows him leaning over. He's a widower, right? It's been too long since I saw it. I love the character. I love the Pixar movies. But here's what the meme says. One day, you're going to hug your last hug, kiss your last kiss, and hear someone's voice for the last time. But you never know when the last time will be. So live every day as if it were the last time you will be with the person you love. Let's get one idea out of the way, shall we? Practicality practicality it's the elephant in the room against behaving with wisdom every single day now i'm not going to argue against it i'm going to be the first to jump in line and tell you listen this is all impractical it might even be unreasonable to assume that we could behave the way that social media meme suggests to hug as though it were our last to kiss as though it were our last but Come on, we're exercising our imaginations here as we look forward to the present. What if we embraced it, even though it's impractical, even though it is unreasonable? What if we decided that our present, our now, that it would be guided not by what's reasonable, not by what is practical, but by something more valuable, What if we suspended reasonableness? What if we suspended practicality? What would that look like? How would that feel? Some months ago, Rhonda and I started, well, probably more than that, but at least that long ago, Rhonda and I began to think more soberly about the next chapter of our life together. I can't be real sure exactly when it began, but we started looking forward to our present. And I didn't feel like our present though. It felt like our future. And then one night, I don't know, maybe it was over a few nights. How can I, how can I know, right? A hopeless insomnia like me. I started realizing that day after day, I was not being nearly as intentional as I had hoped. Do you have one of those pill boxes, one of these vitamin containers, and it's got the days of the week on it. Yeah, me too. And I would look at this container and I would realize if not daily, I would absolutely realize this weekly. I would look at this thing and I would, I would, I would think about the years and the years. I don't know how long I've had this thing every single day. When I take a morning vitamin and especially when I take Saturday morning's vitamins, cause Saturday you're at the end of the week and the, the, the thing's empty now. And now I got to reload the whole thing. And at least every week, probably multiple times a week, I'm thinking another week gone. But more specifically, I'm thinking another week gone. And what have I done? (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's the ever-present nagging reminder that I am neglecting unreasonableness. I am neglecting impracticality. And I think to myself, You're not being as weird as you should be. Robert Sutton, Bob Sutton, he is a Stanford professor. He's an organizational researcher. He's a best-selling author. He's one of my favorites. In 2002, he wrote a book entitled Weird Ideas That Work. It's about being creative in the workplace. It's a good read. Well, Sutton was speaking somewhere. I went to hear him. And afterward, I ran into him in a walkway, and I told him how much I enjoyed his work, and I enjoyed listening to him speak, and I handed him a business card that I was using at the time. And now this business card, and I've I've looked for them. I've packed them away. I can't find them. Uh, I was going to show you what they look like. It was just a simple card. It was kind of a weird card, though. It had my name on it. It had one website, randycantrell.com, and it just had a picture of Curly from the Three Stooges on it. I handed him that card. He chuckled and he thanked me and he said, stay weird. And I just replied back. I'm trying, but you know, many days I don't, I fear I'm not trying hard enough. And I'm not talking about being weird as in stranger goofy. I mean, weird as in not surrendering to practicality, not surrendering to reason when it comes to the things that really matter. And as I am want to be Rhonda gets the space in my brain about such things as this, you know, people say they've said for years, you know, as a couple you ought to have a date night, you need a date night. Rhonda and I've never had a date night. I'm not saying we've never had quote unquote a date night, but that, Oh, Friday night's date night. We've never had that in my ideal present. Our relationship doesn't just get one date night. It gets more. And then the practical me, right? The practical me kicks into gear and convinces me that, you know, listen, if every night were date night, then no night's going to be special. How can it be special if it's ordinary? It can't be. Well, that's weird not in a good way. <laughs> so I start rewinding and I begin to think about how I might define date night. You ever thought about this? Am I, maybe I'm crazy. Don't answer that. Well, it weren't a question. Most couples define date night as, you know, we go out to eat, and then we take in some form of entertainment. Okay, well, that's practical. That's reasonable. Maybe it's we get out of the house, we get away from the kids. Okay, well, when you're empty nesters like Ron and I have been for a long time, well, it's just the two of us anyway. Well, what if I don't want to define it that way? What if I don't want to define date night as let's go out to eat, and then we'll take in some form of entertainment? I mean, what if date night had nothing to do with spending money? Let's start there. What if date night had nothing to do with leaving the house? At least not every single time. How might variety be the rule instead of the exception? What would that look like? Well, I don't know. Cause I don't know. Cause I haven't done it. And that's the point of the episode for us to think about these kind of things, to look forward to the present that we most want, or the present that we know might be most helpful. I rewound my motivations. I started thinking back to when Ron and I were first dating. And you know what I concluded? There's one big, enormous difference between then and now. You want to hear it? Well, you're going to because you click play. And I'm glad you did. Thank you. Then I imposed. It didn't seem like an imposition. I didn't I didn't feel like I was imposing. I was leading. I was surprising. I was driven to dazzle her more so than I've been in recent years, and that's to my shame. And uh yes, you can make all the excuses in the world and I could too. Oh, come on, you've been married for decades and you know, I me mean, nothing's a surprise anymore. Well, that's not true. It could be. I don't have any excuse for surrendering to the notion that I'm bothering her because I used to never think about bothering her. In fact, that was kind of the point to bother her with pleasant surprises. Right? I mean, come on. It's what every guy does with a, with a girl, no amount of head trash stopped me. It was just, come on. It was just a constant act of creativity to think of, yeah, Okay. Next time I drive up to Fort Worth, Texas, you know, what curveball can I throw this time? Kind of a thing. The fact is there was no head trash about it. I just did it. Planned it. Until I slowed down. Or stopped. Looking forward to the present gave way to the digital phenomenon of now, 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 and now, now, now. Well, that just repeated itself over and over like the movie Groundhog Day. Except unlike Phil, the main character. You know I mean? Phil, eventually he learned to invest in each day so he could get better and better and better. And he could know more and more. I wasn't making that investment. No, my Groundhog Day just, it looked like doing time. And then, yeah, I can hear the common refrain of the practical, reasonable people. Well, you can't live your whole life like you do when you're dating. And then I began to wonder and ask the question, why not? Now, it was over 47 years ago when I first dated Rhonda. Well, what would dating look like 47 years later with the same couple now married for almost 45 of those years? What would that look like? I started to think about that and I started to imagine what it could look like looking forward to the present. And I started to think about being bold enough to ask and answer the hard questions. Now, when we first dated, we lived hours and hours apart. And so we, we saw each other sparingly. Well, what would dating look like if we didn't live miles apart? Well, we don't now, and we haven't for a very long time. We weren't married when we began dating. Hello, obvious. Well, what would married dating look like? What would dating somebody that you've lived with for 45 years look like, and you still live with them, and you live by yourselves together? What would that look like? I'm going to disappoint you with my answers because I'm not sure I have them. But being the dreamer that I often am, I concluded this answer. What would any of this look like? My answer applies not just to dating, it applies to both, most anything else. Whatever you'd like it to look like, whatever you'd like it to feel like, that's what it could look like. I'm not saying it will, but it could. And so slowly I started to recognize my feelings of imposition as the surrender that that it really was. I mean, who who am I? I mean, this is a very strong woman. This is my wife. She's certainly brave enough, pointed enough, plain enough in speech to express displeasure, whatever else she'd like. She's compliant. She's amenable. She's likable. But she's not a person who's easily put upon. I concluded that I'd been selling her short probably due to my own fears of having my ideas or creativity rejected. And that's assuming that I was engaging ideas of creativity. Okay. Well, what if she doesn't like it? What if she doesn't want to do that? What if she'd rather not on and on and on it goes as though I would be imposing some unwanted thing on her. Like she's not, brave enough, bold enough, or whatever enough to say, nah, I don't want to do that. So I backed my ears after months of misery and mental wrangling and decided, okay, well, I'm just going to be strong enough to withstand the rejection. I mean, come on. I'm skilled at rejection by this point in my life. If I'm not, then I'm doing something horribly wrong. I mean, and after all, how else are we going to improve these ideas? How else might weirdness become the creativity that changes everything for the better? Besides, I mean, come on. If a man's unwilling to risk rejection from a woman he's been married to for nearly half a century, what kind of man is he? (laughs) So I just began to look at my own willingness, more specifically my own unwillingness, And I realized that my unwillingness to give it a go wasn't going to do anything to move anything in a positive direction. Instead, it was only going to serve to waste time, the present, the now. And it proves a few points. Number one, no matter our age or the length of a relationship, fear can still persist. Number two, bravery is always needed. If you are going to find a way forward, you are going to have to find a way to be brave. Number three, without a risk of failure, there can't be any success. There necessarily has got to be a risk of failure if you're going to succeed. And number four, if looking forward to the present involves a person that you care about, as it does for me, then stop wasting time. Just give it a go. Part of using our imagination is to think about or to dream about what might be versus what is. To think about what it might be like versus what it actually really is right now. And maybe even more appropriately to think about our ability or our capacity to maybe change it to at least influence it. Now, maybe it's a dissatisfaction with the present. I'm not dissatisfied with marriage. I'm not dissatisfied with my wife, but maybe it's wondering about how it might be better. Well, I'm always thinking that way. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's certain dissatisfactions with the present and maybe wondering how it might be better. Maybe it's all that jumbled up into one. Looking forward speaks of the anticipated improvement, right? We look forward to something. We look forward to something that excites us. Maybe you look forward to that vacation. You look forward to that long weekend. You look forward to this holiday. You look forward to going to see somebody. You look forward to going to the concert that you've long wanted to go to something that we most want to have happen, something for which we are happily anticipating. Well, I was looking forward to the present, In my marriage, I got news for you. It's a lifelong habit, a lifelong habit. I have been driven by my introspection on how I might be able to step up my game as a husband, since I became a husband and then as a father and now well, as a grandfather, but make no mistake about it. It always starts with who I am to this woman. And when things go sideways, and they often do, they often have. It's when I don't start with that. When I don't start with who I am to her. Whenever I start with who she is, I lose my way. I mean, it's one of those yin-yang kind of things. It's far more selfish when I start with her and I think, well, you know, she ought to do this or she ought to do that or she ought to feel this or she ought to feel it. Whenever my expectations begin with her, not me, it's selfish. Isn't that ironic? But whenever I assume the responsibility for the outcome, I mean all of it, lock, stock and smoke and barrel, then my focus goes on judging myself and not her. I start thinking about what I need to do. I'm not thinking about what she hasn't done, what I wish she would do. I become less selfish when I focus on what I ought to do or what I could do to make things better. What I've learned is that if I want my present to be better, that is, if I truly want to look forward to the present, then I have got to behave more urgently. I need to consider the magnitude of the moment. This moment. This very second. For me, the biggest component in all of this is bravery. It's courage. Taking action at this very moment fails every single time I refuse to step into the face of risk. I bet that's true for you too. Right? We just convince ourselves, eh. Nah. I mean, we can come up with a million different reasons. No, none of them are worthwhile. They're all just excuses. Because courage is hard. And cowardice is easy. Doing it now, well, uh, that's hard. Talking yourself out of it. Delaying it, putting it off. Well, that's easy. Success is in that area, though, where fewer people are willing to go. It always has been failure, super easy. And it's a really crowded super highway, which is why we mostly experience that failure. Isn't the same as giving it a go only to discover, well, that didn't work out. Like I hoped no learning. It's learning failures, refusing to give it a go for fear that it won't work out. And it doesn't teach us anything. It just reinforces our cowardice. It reinforces our habit of failure. A quote leapt to my mind, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Translation for this episode, better to give it a go and learn than to sit back convinced it's not worth trying I mean, come on, isn't learning always worthwhile? What would life be like if I devoted myself to wooing my wife daily? What would life be like if I dedicated myself more fully to being a man after God's own heart? What could life be like if I gave myself to looking forward to the present? Well, I don't know, but it's time I find out. I think it's time you found out, too. I think it's time we both find out, don't you? Why not? As Bob Sutton would say, it's time to embrace some weird ideas. Because weird ideas work. We may not be thinking weird enough. December 1st, I don't know what the rest of the... Year's going to hold. I'm still trying to figure that out. We're still working on. Yellow Studio version 3.0. So as we wind. The final month of the year. I got no idea. I really don't. I know I'm looking forward toward the present. And I'm going to try to. Not let my reasonableness or my practicality define it all. Cause I don't know about you, but I look at well, I look at my marriage, since I've been kind of focused on that in today's episode and some previous episodes. Okay, I'm I mean, do I want it set he had a practical marriage. His marriage was reasonable. <laughs> That doesn't sound too terribly exciting, does it? The website is LeaningTowardWisdom.com The podcast is Leaning Toward Wisdom, Modern Tales of an Ancient Pursuit And as always, we are powered by age, experience, wit, and sarcasm I'm your host here Coming to you mostly every week, Lord willing, that will continue. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm coming to you from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio.